0: Welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings and slither in place because this is Snakebird. Snake hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. Today's podcast subject leads us into discussing some dangerous doctrinal territory, A territory often filled with a lack of wisdom, conviction, application, and typically truth. Today we're drilling down on and exposing what we would call the watered down gospel. That's
1: right, guys. The topic is, just as Josh said, the watered-down gospel. And that might be something you've heard before, perhaps even in a Facebook argument. But the truth is, the discussion is actually a real problem today, isn't it, Josh?
0: Yeah, it's obvious that we are increasingly in a climate full of potential for scriptural shortcomings and truth-twisting between false teachers who Peter refers to in Second Peter as those who will secretly bring destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought their lives, to crowds, on the other hand who won't listen to good teaching but will instead have itching ears and gather around themselves people who say what they want them to say. As snakebirds, we have to be on our guards to A be weary of watered down gospel in our lives, and B, be able to contend with it and correct it in the proper context and in the proper times. As you often said, we don't want to cast our pearls before swine, but we do want to be able to say, hey, this is what it says. And and maybe not in a Facebook argument, because that is the worst place <laughs> to get in a discussion about any of these things. You
1: see those too much, don't you?
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then you look at the number of comments and it's like somehow just exponentially grown. Oh yeah. It, there's
1: times that I just I, I can't help myself. I'd have to put in my two cents. Yeah. <laughs> I have I, to
0: I have to admit I do it sometimes. I understand. I just wish at that point you could say, hey let's just meet somewhere. And I know that's physically impossible. You're, you're time. talking
1: about the whole, how big a boy
0: are you? <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> let's, no, let's meet at the local.
0: <laughs> no, not like that. I'm, I'm just like, let's just talk face to face. And yeah. even if we have to just walk away saying we're going to agree to disagree, it's just, man, since it's anonymous, people get so vicious on Facebook.
1: It's so true. And listener, if you are wondering what in the world we're talking about right now, let's just go ahead and do our, our typical, you know, definition of what we're talking. <laughs> Yeah, about. I feel like
0: we should have a good sirens. sirens definition incoming. <laughs> exactly.
1: You know? we, need, we need something like that. Yeah. Um, would you agree, Josh, that the ingredients for watering down the gospel or a false gospel would be to change the meaning of scripture or take the scripture out of context in order to make scripture more comfortable?
0: yes I would agree with that or if you're
1: completely influenced by Satan to make sure people don't get saved I mean that's the the darkest part of watered
0: down gospel yeah anything that compromises or weakens the truth of the Bible yeah for an example people say that Jesus was a good man he was a good teacher he's a good ethicist Mm -hmm. but and and that's where we do our um, improv class where they say yes and but instead we say yes but he is God yeah he's this plus yeah yeah he's really Good at ethics, but also, he's God. Yeah,
1: exactly. Most of the time, when we see the gospel being watered down, it's being stripped down in order to make it easier to follow or to justify rebellion against certain things mm-hmm. I've seen.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's pretty clear when you read the Bible that this is a heavily traveled avenue for watering down the gospel, in America at least. Yeah. But believe it or not, some people are much more comfortable with the Bible being more strict than it's meant to be, also. Mm-hmm. And uh, in some cases, People prefer the exclusive membership concept so much that they actually add more rules to water down the message. And I guess you—that would be like Bible concentrate. But you you want to concentrate on the Bible, so (laughs) I was like, you know, that's watered down also. But yeah, there's there's almost two avenues. But either way, uh, we have to remember that watering down Scripture represents any alteration of context in order to change the meaning to fit an agenda other than God's. So that's what I consider watered down gospel changing the meaning to make it fit you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it, and what you were saying is it feels like it gets murky the more that you add to it and it gets less clear. And yes. and I found this in in our studies and our time just experiencing it, it's usually not extremely blatant. But it's typically very sneaky.
1: Very true.
0: Yeah. It just, it kind of wedges itself in there.
1: If it was so far off that people would see it immediately, then it wouldn't get, you know, so much traction. Exactly. it does.
0: Yeah. And the next thing you know, you're looking at it going, wow, it's one degree off or two degrees off from the truth. And then you're like, okay, but if you continue on that road, you're going to be way off your destination.
1: Exactly. Think of Columbus did that across an ocean. He would be not, not in America. Yeah, so
0: he wouldn't have been able to conquer the indigenous tribe.
1: <laughs> exactly. You get the point. Yeah. Listener. You get well, the point. Remember, okay. Sorry. I was going to say,
0: we used to celebrate Columbus day. Now it's like a travesty. And, and <laughs> yeah. anyway, yeah, let's not, let's not go there.
1: Oh, that's too funny. Yeah. But you know, Jesus, he, he knew that this was going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And he even warned us about the watered down gospel. Before he even left to go back to heaven, didn't he, Josh? He did um in matthew twenty four four Jesus tells us while describing what the last days are going to be like, and Jesus answered and said to them, "See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many and the interesting thing about that warning is that Jesus cautions us against those claiming I am the Christ." And some have assumed that verse to be speaking of other people claiming that they are the Christ. But one commentator I saw notes that the verse is insinuating people claiming that Jesus is the Christ. Because if you think about how he worded that, it could go either way. Mm -hmm. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute. We're told in 1 Corinthians 12.3 that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And yes, that's true when talking about a heart of belief. But for an intruder, one whose objective is to infiltrate, we see that certain tactics are used. And in Jude 1.4, it says, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our sovereign Lord. And First Corinthians eleven, fourteen, and 15 says, For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So when we say watered-down gospel, we're talking about the twisting and reconstructing of God's word in order to push an agenda, like I said, other than God's. And it's just, it's a major problem. Mm-hmm. So Jesus warned us about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like for watered-down gospel, in order to have that, you actually have to have false teachers. And I thought before we even get into some of the areas, we could just talk for a few moments about false teachers because... We find that a lot of times, like we said, it's not necessarily blatant because otherwise it'd be so easy to spot, but um, we find that they're giving like diluted medicine, or maybe it's that we baked brownies, but we put a little bit of something bad in it, like arsenic or feces or whatever you might call, you know, because you're like, (laughs) I'm just saying you're looking at, man, I love brownies. And then somebody tells you, well, there's a little bit of poop in them. You're like, I'm not going to eat that. Yeah. But if you... You didn't know. And Galatians 5, 7, and 9 says, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he was the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. And then Second uh, Timothy 3, 5 talks about... False teachers, uh, they they don't want to change because they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of the gospel. And then the last thing I'll say about that is that um, in Ezekiel, even talking about false teachers or false prophets... He talks about how they're using untempered mortar or whitewash to finish the walls. And I'm going to read a little bit. It says, haven't you fantasized sheer nonsense? Aren't your sermons tissues of lies saying God says when I've done nothing of the kind? Therefore, and this is the message of God, the master. Remember, I am dead set against prophets who substitute illusions for visions and use sermons to tell lies. I'm going to ban them from the councils of my people, remove them from membership in Israel and outlaw them from the land of Israel. Then you'll realize I am God, the master. The fact is they've lied to my people. They've said, no problem. Everything's just fine when things are not fine at all. When people build a wall, they've been right behind them slapping on whitewash. Tell those who are slapping on the whitewash when a torrent of rain comes and the hailstones crash down and the hurricane sweeps in and the wall collapses, what's the good of the whitewash that you have slapped on so liberal, making it look good? And that whole concept of whitewash is in Bible times, lazy builders would stack bricks with no mortar and then put a plaster veneer over the bricks to hide it. Without the mortar, there's no stability. Today, we use concrete to hold the bricks. And so if you were to just do that, maybe the wall looks solid from the outside, but even a donkey could have kicked it over just because it had no real strength. And um, in modern times, to bring this to a modern illustration, more than 500,000 people were killed or injured in the 2010 Haitian earthquake. One of the principal causes of these casualties was untempered mortar. Greedy contractors skimped on the percentage of concrete they mixed into the mortar and expensive iron rebar, which reinforces the concrete. It made the walls pathetically weak, and as soon as the massive earthquake struck, the fragile buildings crumbled." Wow. And then one one last thing. Speaking of whitewash, think about whitewashed tombs. Yep. The scribes and the Pharisees. And that's what Jesus says. You are hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tomb. On the outside you look beautiful, but inside you are full of dead men's bones. Right? And yep. all kinds of filth. And so I mean that's where we get the watered down gospel because it starts with false teachers.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really that's a perfect example because if we build um, with this watered down theology, it's watered down mortar and watered down foundation, and it will crumble. It doesn't stand to anything. Yeah, in Colossians two eight says, "See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ." And uh, one more I have in that realm too is um, as a result we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine oh, nice. by the trickery of men by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. Mm. And I, did I say where that was from? That's Ephesians 4, 14 and nice. 16. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's there's so many warnings in Scripture from Jesus and from Paul and the other apostles of just do not make sure you do not build upon this this crumbling doctrine that is not correct
0: yeah and i really like the imagery that he lays out there in ephesians where he says carried about by yeah. uh, you know that's because it seems like no foundation means you're being pushed one way or another and manipulated which is yeah. kind of the essential essence of, of of a watered down doctrine where it's like i'm Manipulating it's you to believe what I'm wanting an you to believe—an intentional process. Yes,
1: exactly. Which is scary.
0: <laughs> really,
1: we we battle against the, you know authorities and principalities, so mm-hmm. it makes it makes sense, and that's why we are to be careful, and that's why we're warned. Yes. So um, we have what we got six points, Josh. We do that. We're going to attempt to to really dive into this issue. And um,
0: why don't you kick us off, Josh? Okay, well, can I say what we typically always say with this? Is we dove in, we chose some areas, and uh, we believe that we've compiled some of the top areas plaguing believers right now. And what we want to always say is that this is not exhaustive. Yes. This is just what God put on our hearts. And if we missed one, which we most likely will, please let us know and Stephen will write a two-page apology uh double spaced. I will. Gu- I will guarantee. Yeah. I will. <laughs> he might not send it to you. <laughs> I don't know. I'll win. I'll write it. Josh will send it. <laughs> there you go. We we will, maybe. <laughs> but we need to hear from you on if we missed any of these things. So, yeah. you know. Okay. But these are
1: these are six that God's laid on our hearts and, and we think they're big. We really do. Yeah.
0: We really yeah, exactly. Especially when you look at things with the church right now. So mm-hmm. okay. Misunderstandings contrived from a watered-down gospel. I don't know if I... I probably could have said that in such an easier way. Uh, S- say it again. Okay. Um, nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, misunderstandings of a watered-down gospel. And uh, the first one that is out there that is taught is a life following Jesus should be easy. Or to say it like maybe somebody famous says it, you should have your best life now. I've heard that before. Have you? I have. I think it's a book. Yeah, I saw it in a bookstore. (laughs) Well, we're addressing it here. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So what
1: do you got on it, Josh, on this first one?
0: Oh, man. Well... In reference to what we were just talking about there are some very popular teachers and teachings about what god believes your life should be right now and that saying has gotten pretty famous the truth is that god wants his best for you but his best and our best always don't mean the same thing it also doesn't mean it's going to be easy in fact While American Christians may have it the easiest it's ever been in the history of following Jesus, the world and history knows the cost of our calling is vastly more expensive. And all around the world, it's illegal to be a Christian. Uh, and, and various places with steep penalties like imprisonment or fines or even death. And Jesus had a lot to say about uh, persecution and a lot about what our life is going to be like here on earth. In John 16, 33, he said, These things I have spoken to you, and that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And then uh, I can reference this, 2 Timothy 3, 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. That's
1: pretty clear. And you know, I think you pointed out something very um interesting that we should we should look at which is I mean, we, we are speaking from an American standpoint. Mm-hmm. We, we worship God here without persecution for the most part. I mean, if you see it, it's nothing compared to other countries. Exactly. And, and so I, I've even heard the, the scripture toss around. Well, I've never seen God's children begging for bread. Mm-hmm. And they use that as, as kind of a, well, you're not, you're never going to beg for bread if you follow God. Oh wow. And, and you're like, well, wait a minute. Do you know what's going on right now on the other side of the world? Mm -hmm. And so the first thing I thought about regarding this topic is a true story that I heard from some fellow believers I know. And they told me about this handyman that came to their house one time to fix something. And these people were very wealthy, had a really nice house. And as this young handyman looked around, they saw their home decor with Bible verses hanging and Um, stuff like that on the walls and decor, and he told him that he had been to many different houses to do repairs all over the years, and he had noticed something interesting. He said that the houses that were the most run down, most beat up, and the poorest families always seemed to cuss a lot. They had beer bottles and drugs lying around, and it was a pretty consistent thing that he saw in his personal experience, and then he followed up by saying, that many of the wealthiest and nicer properties he noticed to have scriptures on the walls and religious decor. And when all was said, that young man told him that he had come to realize that God blesses those who follow him. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And with this conclusion that he came to, there's two opposing concepts. One is accurate, but one is deadly. Like you said, brownies with cyanide, there you <laughs> go. And <laughs> the accurate part of his conclusion is that God blesses those who follow him. This is true, but the deadly part of his conclusion is that God's blessing is always in the form of finances, rainbows, and butterflies. Mm-hmm. Um, does God bless those who truly follow him? Absolutely. Uh, Jeremiah 17:7, 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So there's the nugget of truth, though. Did you hear it in verse 1? He says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times having all that you need. And what do you need? What did Paul need when that agonizing thorn kept him coming over and over again to the throne of God? Did God say that the thorn removed is what he needed? Or financial security? No. God said that his grace was sufficient, that his grace is what he needed. In Philippians 4, 6-7, says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, listener, the blessing that represents a true believer is not financial security or social status. The blessing is the peace that surpasses all understanding, which comes from the grace of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of the poorest families I've met in my life are the happiest I've ever known. And God says, just as he prompted Peter to say in Acts 3, 6, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Walk. And that is what we will get when following Jesus. Our lame, broken-down nature will be revived into new life in which we will gain many spiritual blessings. That's right. And so, I man, I'm passionate about that because that is a lie from the pit of hell when they say that's the evidence of God's mm. blessing is financial.
0: Yeah. No, and like you said in uh, Philippians 4.19... Paul says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we love to quote that verse, but our need may not always be material or financial mm-hmm. because even one of people's favorite verses to quote, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is not about jumping off a building yeah. or lifting a car. It's about learning to have a lot and have a little and be content with what we have. Yeah. And that's what Paul says. He says, I can live with abundance and I can live without Yeah, and I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me, which I'm sorry. I just, I, I love seeing the whole, like, I can do all things and then like try to lift a car. It yeah. just cracks me up, <laughs> you know, and we even have that verse that we quote is my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and, yeah. and God does supply our need, but it also at times I feel like it's actually the comfort that the American church has that actually keeps us from. Growing and keeps us from experiencing all that God could have in our lives in terms of faith. Because in other countries, you see people walking by faith because they don't have any other options and they don't have any other choice.
1: Yeah. And some might disagree with me, but in my experience, from what I've seen, I think you're completely on target with that, Josh. I think that people who are blessed beyond all measure financially, they have a harder time like the rich young man Mm. seeing deep spiritual truths.
0: Yeah. And I've heard that even sometimes persecuted believers in different countries are actually praying for persecution for the church of America, just because they see how much their faith has grown Mm -hmm. there in, um, in their own communities. And, you know, we have these missionaries at church that are serving in a, Chinese, uh, university, and they are leading these underground Bible studies and they're seeing, um, massive, um, just amounts of people coming to Jesus. And yet they're saying, please don't put our names and, you know, likenesses yeah. out there on Facebook, identifying what we're doing, yeah. because if they are found out the communist country of China would not allow them to come back and, and may even arrest them.
1: Yeah. Or allow them to come
0: back and teach them a lesson when they get there. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I've known people that said they were they were taking a train trip into China and they were actually had Bibles lining pockets inside their clothes because yeah. they were trying to get it in. And, and we, we I have 20 Bibles at my house laying yeah. on a bookshelf, you know, that mm-hmm. I could pick up at any minute and different translations and different versions, things like that.
1: Yeah, I saw some video footage of some Chinese people, Christians, believers, receiving Bibles because they didn't have any of their own. And the way they grabbed those out of boxes is like I saw people grabbing tulip paper out of Walmart for <laughs> COVID-19. Yeah. They were grabbing these Bibles, and I saw one, one person just crying and kissing that book mm. because they understood what it was. Yes. It was not just some book of dogma. This yeah. was what they lived on. It was the very promises of God. And they had it for themselves in their own language. And I, I, I couldn't agree with you more.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned the rich young ruler and, and his story is so fascinating because Jesus said, I realized that your possessions own you versus you own your possessions. Mm-hmm. And, and he wasn't willing to surrender that spot of hierarchy who's going to rule in his life Mm -hmm. and then jesus goes on to say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven and the disciples are like well then who can be saved and and peter even gets a little sad because he comes to jesus and and i could just only imagine this interaction but he says see we have left all and followed you where is our best life now? (laughs) What shall we have? And and I literally love this answer because we have to realize that there is something to come, you know, and and I think we'll speak more to this even in one of our other topics. There is more to come, but Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, in the resurrection, when the son of man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first and and i just feel like that is one of the promises that we can hold on to that not that we're going to sit on the 12 tribes because that's made for the apostles but that god knows what this life is costing and, yeah. and it does cost and there should be a cost, mm-hmm. but he says, I'm going to reward you after the resurrection.
1: Yeah. And we're going to get into that further and, mm-hmm. and here as we go, but that's so important. That is so important. And that's why all this is such a snakebird topic, because like Josh said, with the rich young ruler. Uh, whole doctrines and whole theologies have been built around. Well, that means you can't be rich, and so mm-hmm. you got to give everything away to me, the church. Yeah, you know,
0: but the pendulum swung all the way to the other side.
1: Yeah, and, and that was Jesus being specific to the case in that man's heart. Mm-hmm. So that that's why it's so snake birdy, is yeah. because this is this is between you and God. You got your own fingerprint.
0: You know your tendencies, mm-hmm. and so yeah. When we speak of the best life now, I also don't wanna forget like John fifteen, sixteen, where Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Yep. So when we're persecuted, we're in good company because they persecuted Jesus. We just want to make sure that we're persecuted for the right reason. Yeah.
1: Not just for being a dummy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. And then 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14 says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. And then he goes on and don't be persecuted because you're a dummy. Yeah. He literally like (laughs) that's virtually the next few verses. (laughs) Well, two
1: thoughts real quick. Uh, First, that's that's the whole campaign have a purpose, and Mm. and yes, the the tearing down, the trials, all Mm. of that is for the purpose of building up. Yeah, and so, uh, but one pastor did. uh, I heard him talking about the situation where somebody was doing just just something something crazy, pretending it was spiritual in the lobby, and he walked out there, and, and the people were some people were laughing at him, and some. Some people were like, like scolding him, saying, "Get up! Stop that!" Mm-hmm. And he was, the guy was like, "See, I'm being persecuted for, for." <laughs> and the pastor looked at him. He said, "No, you're being persecuted because you're being a weirdo." <laughs> I think he was, he was like doing some kind of crazy acrobatics calling slain in the spirit. Or oh, something, no so way. Good, but it just made me think of that. That's funny. Not that I'm trying to make light of
0: spiritual gifts, but no, no that but was another episode. That's the whole thing. It's like Peter is like, make sure that you're persecuted for the right reason. Decently in order. <clears throat> exactly. And don't just be a weirdo. Yes. Yeah. True. Yeah.
1: So, do um, you got anything else on that, Josh? Because I've said pretty much my piece on on uh, Best Life Now. It, yeah. he, honestly, we kind of get into it a little bit more here in a minute. Yes, but. that's all I have for right now on that. So, number two would be um, we should avoid offending anyone at all costs. And boy, is this a modern topic.
0: It is. It
1: really is. This is one of the more relevant issues for 2020, I think.
0: More than anything, yeah. Yeah, it seems that our current
1: climate is so... It's saturated with social justice warriors and political correctness that we're walking on eggshells. Mm -hmm every everything we say every if we look at someone wrong someone is completely offended and i understand that that's more of a societal topic mm-hmm. and we're we're going biblical here but honestly they've kind of been married in america
0: it has yeah, there's yeah. there's
1: almost you can't separate the two because people are so confused
0: about it mm-hmm. and that's where you get like stuff like cancel culture and yep. even going back to looking what they said 10 years ago and like oh i'm going to hold that against you yeah and i I know that I believe
1: that this this political correct movement that we see, I think it is a satanic movement in order to do two things um, to confuse number one and to gather number two mm. and Let me just lay out real quick what i've what I, God put on my heart with that um Satan wants us to be confused about where we stand if he can get us uh double minded lukewarm on our stance and our beliefs then he will slowly chip away at our conscience until we look more like the world than a child of God. And Satan has influenced terminology in order to confuse people. We've talked about this Mm -hmm. so many times. Um, He'll whisper in our ear, wait, you're not pro-choice. You Mm -hmm. want to take a woman's free will away? People see you as a bigot. Or, are you serious? You're actually going to remain in the Stone Ages holding to marriages between a man and a woman? Is that really who you want to be? Someone who denies other humans from experiencing love? Is that the kind of God that you want to follow? Someone not allowed to have love? Mm -hmm. You know, little terminology and alterations in your stance. That's how Satan does it. And once he successfully confused you to the point of bending to every so-called offense... Then he will gather you into one of his many boxes of like-minded people who can make you feel like you're a part of something, Mm. a box, a place where God's truth is manipulated in such a way that people feel comfortable with an updated theology. Yeah. That's what I see.
0: Yeah. As you were saying about the, um, confuse and gather, I had two words come to my mind of silence and subjugate Oh, because it's make people be quiet on the things because you can't, if you speak up, then immediately you're just, you're it's dog pile. You know, it's like, why would you say that? How could you believe that? Are you that stupid to not think that the, the world was created by, you know, (laughs) a big bang billions of years ago? Are you that, are you that insane? Or, and then the subjugation is really beating people into submission of saying, this is why you have to believe what you believe. And I feel like that's happened to a ton of teenagers these days where you just have that peer pressure of going, why don't you believe this? And and they they kind of just succumb and go, oh, I, I, I'll go with the flow. That's very well put. I couldn't agree more. And the truth is
1: there's only two things at play in this world. It's the truth of God and the confusion of Satan. Mm. And are we allowed to think critically about modern issues? Yes, absolutely. But choosing God does not mean that we blindly fall into some religious zombie-like state where we yell at sinners and regurgitate band-aid scriptures. Mm-hmm. That's not what being a believer in God is. Yeah. But when God gives us a solid truth, we don't bend it. We don't reconstruct it to make us or others feel more comfortable. We embrace it because it's His truth. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's a huge, huge issue.
0: Well, and that's, that's what it is. That's what Jesus called us to do. He said, you have to love people enough to speak the truth. Yeah. Like if I saw a building on fire and I didn't say anything, then I'm at fault. I, mm-hmm. you know, I should have that weighing on my conscience because we should love people enough to say, Hey, I see a burning building. I'm going to yell fire and try to get people out. Yes. You know, and that's what we see in society is there is a lot of burning buildings going on. Um, Jesus, and I'll give this example from John chapter four, he came to the woman at the well and he called her out Mm -hmm. on a very, very private subject and kind of in a strange way because a a Jew interacting with Samaritan was an oddity. But then a Jew interacting with a Samaritan woman is a a complete oddity and an extreme rarity. You know, even his disciples are like, what is he doing? Yeah, You know, but he, he... I like what I heard one pastor say about this is he found the area that she was um, most vulnerable and he said, I want to touch that. I want to heal that in your life. Yes. And Jesus wasn't afraid to speak the truth. Okay, here's a hot take. Stay with me on this. Okay. Intolerance is not always a bad thing. That sounds, yeah. in, that no, sounds I'm radical. Board. I'm on board. In fact, accusing a Christian for being intolerant For holding steady on their beliefs is a form of intolerance itself, because I think we have to be thinkers. But when it comes to things the Bible says, we have to be immovable. I found this quote and I, I really enjoyed it. It's a little long, but here it is. What's fascinating is that the people who condemn Christians for acting as if they're right and others are wrong are in that very action acting as if they themselves are right and Christians are wrong. So they are at that moment doing the very thing they say is wrong. When you think about it, it's pretty silly to condemn people for thinking that they are right because aren't you simultaneously thinking that you are right and saying that they are wrong or broadening the point a bit? Who in their right mind doesn't consistently think that they're right? I mean, really, do you ever think that you're wrong while you're sitting in the midst of thinking that very thought? I don't think so. I think as soon as you start to realize that your thinking is wrong, you change your belief and start thinking differently. Therefore, for two reasons, no one should condemn Christians for just thinking they're right and others are wrong. Number one, everyone else does the same. And number two, Christians might really be right after all. I found that quote from Mitch Middleburg and tolerance doesn't describe the things that we enjoy or approve of. We're not tolerant of a nice big steak for dinner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or tolerant of ice cream. We only tolerate what we find to be false or mistaken in some capacity. We can strongly disagree with people and yet treat them with respect and dignity. I, I found a book called Be Intolerant by Andy Stanley. And at first, To me, that title was really radical because everybody talks about, you know, this is the the social justice warrior uh, society we live in is, is everything's built on tolerance. But when it comes back to a biblical standpoint, pastors who dance around issues like sin and judgment are not helping people, but instead they're doing everyone a great harm by not correctly teaching them what the Bible says.
1: That is so true. And I love the way you laid all of that out because man, terminology, it kills us. Uh-huh. And it's a, it, we find that oftentimes it's just a one way street. It's It's not allowed for you. Yeah. It's only allowed for, for certain, you know, mindsets. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with all that. And I, I had a thought too here.
0: Uh, are you, are you finished up Josh? Uh, the only thing I was going to say is, you know, we talk about hate the sin but not the sinner, and and yes. it, it, you already referenced this verse. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against power, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so many times I see the lines that are divided, and instead of seeing the the influencer behind the people. Uh, in that line, I see the people on the line and I'm like, oh, you know, and I get so angry with the cause versus the cause of the cause. Yeah. You know? (laughs) And so, um, you know, are there some things that I wish that the Bible didn't have such a hard line stance on? Yes, but I'm not God. Yeah. And I believe that if his word says something is wrong, it's wrong. And we have as, as believers, we have to stand by that. Yeah. And we can't change it because if we change it, then we're doing exactly what we're contending against here.
1: Yes. No, so true. And like I said earlier, we're allowed to think critically.
0: Yes. But there's a difference in doing that and throwing out God's truth. Exactly. I I don't mind putting myself in their shoes and looking at at the way we're talking about what we are. Yes. But if at the end of the day, the Bible says that what they are standing on is not right, then it's not right. Yeah. I
1: couldn't agree more. And That really, that segues into something that that might not fall on every ear the same it it might sound a little harsh but man it is something that god's laid on my heart over the last really for the last couple years but in the last month i've just i've noticed so many so-called christians who take these stances they get what it is it's these boxes Mm -hmm. that people are forced into um these ideologies for whatever reason they feel they need to get in these boxes and um One thing I'll just leave on this topic with is God's Word, without reconstructing it, without trying to bend it to fit anything, if just God's Word, what it clearly says, offends you, then you should really decide which side of the fence you're on. Because God tells us in Revelation 3 to the church in Laodicea, I know your deeds that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. And uh, Josh already mentioned it in John fifteen eighteen. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before you, and they're going to hate you too. If you're bending God's word so that you can fit in better, mm-hmm. that's not good. That is really not good, and you need to choose which side of the fence you're on. If you're bending God's word because you're justifying sin... Decide which side of the fence you're on Mm -hmm. because he will spit you out of his mouth. And do you want on that day to look your creator in the eye and him say, get away from me? I never knew you because you wanted to sit on the fence or you wanted to redefine, reconstruct his word. Absolutely not. So that's the last thing that that I'll say on on that topic uh, on offending. Well, God's word offends sometimes in intolerance. However, you want to look at that term and redefine it. Um, we're not to be tolerant of things
0: that are against the truth of God. Yeah, that's really well said. It, it, it makes me sad to think that even at times in my life, I did try to walk both sides of the fence. Absolutely. You know, and I had that very double-minded way. Yeah. And, and the Bible speaks very clearly and very strongly against the double-minded man. Yes. Because he's unstable. And, in and, all his ways. Yeah. And, and I what is that saying where it's like you serve either one. And to make a choice... Like you're, you're already choosing to serve who you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like when you're undecided, you're already decided. That's true. Isn't that, I think that's like the dudes that sing that Tom Sawyer song.
1: (laughs) Even if you choose not to make a choice, you still have made a choice. Oh, I don't know that song, but I like it. (laughs) There you go. Oh goodness. Yeah. Yeah, Edit that. (laughs) Okay. No, it's staying in. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Um. Listen, you know what I'm talking about. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to throw us off the tracks, but no, you're so right. You're so right. And listen, guys, I hope that jo- Josh and I don't ever come off as we're immune to these things and we're the teachers to you. Because uh-uh. let me tell you, I backslide into things, into old habits from time to time. And it reminds me, and first off, I'm grieving the spirit. Mm-hmm. I'm not happy. I'm miserable. And... God, in his patience, he lets you see, is this really who you want to be? Do you want to backslide on my truth? And you start to feel that old nature of who you used to be. And man, when you've tasted the righteousness of him, it's so ugly. It's so, it's like someone who's quit smoking that first cigarette after six months. It stinks so bad Mm -hmm. because I've been there. And that's what it's like. So let me tell you, we're not immune to this. We struggle with this stuff. There's things that we do that we backslide into. Um, or at least I'm speaking for myself and, no, and no. uh, I just, we want you to know that this is not a point, you know, a plateau we're standing on here looking down at y'all. This is something we all battle
0: no and, and you're right I'm so thankful for the conviction that God brings not condemnation because there's a huge difference between condemnation and conviction yes. but to maybe run back to that sin that you shouldn't have been committing and and you feel like it's going to bring you some modicum of joy and all of a sudden you know sin is committed and you look back and you're like why yeah. and it's just bitter there's no sweetness to it It's you just feel empty and And God is so gracious because you come and you go, I messed up. And he's like, I know. And you're like, (laughs) uh, you know, here we go again. And he's like, let's dust off. Let's do this thing, you know? And, and he's not going, well, that's it. You're out. You know, his grace is, is good. And and so the hardest
1: part is getting back up because if you stay on the ground, Satan can work you over into a tornado of emotions and all sorts of stuff. He just
0: wants a foothold and. Yeah.
1: That kind of segues us into God ultimately won't judge anyone for sin. Doesn't it, does. it Josh? Yeah. Yeah. So
0: why don't you go first on this one? Cause I know you have a lot to say. Okay. Um, one of my favorite
1: verses is first John one, nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse mm-hmm. us from all unrighteousness. I love that verse because there are so many times I need it. Yeah, And, um, In past episodes, we've really pushed this concept because it's so important, especially for those who are being uh, tormented by the judgment of their own conscience and are also afraid of the judgments of God. Um, But we also have to understand that for those who embrace their sin with pride, also known as we've said before, YOLO, live it up, (laughs) then God has a type of judgment that is terrifying for them. There will be judgment. And this is really where I want to reestablish something that I've mentioned in episode 26, how pain can have a purpose. And that is God's wrath is not the same as God's judgment and discipline. Yeah. Uh, Because, again, terminology, terminology. So when we're talking about God ultimately won't judge anyone for sin, we need to understand that even Christians are going to be judged for sin. In the very milk of the word, Psalm 103.12, we understand that God separates our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. But that separation is in regard to God's wrath, not his judgment. And with that being said, I think it would be very helpful to translate some terms here. Uh, Romans one eighteen says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Mm. The Greek word for wrath is one that I've I've pointed out before. It's orge, I think. Orge. You you say uh, orge. (laughs) I like ogre. Let's go with that. Org. (laughs) Org. (laughs) Um, But it's... uh, Anger, passion, punishment, vengeance. That's, that's the uh, usage of that word. That's the definition. And this is the word that speaks to the separating our sins as far as the East is from the West. For the true believer, God's wrath will be separated from us that far. Hmm. But for those who think that we should live it up because you only live once, in saying that, you're storing up wrath for yourself as said in Romans 2.5. And it says, Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you were storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And I believe that this type of judgment is speaking of the eternal separation from God, the kind of judgment that you cannot take back or recover from. So, that being said, there, there's a twist in the road here that I think is very important. Christians, and my use of the word Christian here is someone who will go to heaven— Christians will escape God's wrath, but they will not escape judgment. This judgment will not be centered on punishment in the sense of wrath, but in loss of reward, which will be another podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, there are multiple variations of the word judgment in the Greek, so we don't need to use that as a blanket word. But in Second Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That is, folks, called the Bema Seed of Christ. And let me, let me describe it this way Consider a cabinet maker being hired to build some very specific cabinets for someone, but instead of building what was agreed upon, the cabinet maker says, Ah, you know, I know they wanted this specific thing, but I think this other thing would look a little better. And then when the person who hired them sees something, the thing that wasn't agreed upon, they won't get paid. And I know this example has its limitations, but essentially, that's what's going to be going on at the Bema Seat of Christ. Just like the parable of the talents, Jesus will look at each of our specific cases, the gifts we were given, what we did with those gifts, and also the motive of our hearts in the mix as well. And we will either gain or lose some sort of spiritual reward and payment, according to what we did with our charge. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15 is talking about. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. And I believe that this is so evident to see throughout Scripture where God, in His permissive will and patient stance toward our free will, which He designed in us, allows us to participate in His perfect will, where we will either reap great reward or we will suffer loss. But when all Scripture is looked at from what I can see, God's judgment will be seen by every single human on earth. Some will see wrath, no heaven. Some will see loss of reward, but still paradise. Mm. So that's that's really where I felt God leading me into this, because I, I think there's some confusion in certain circles with that.
0: Yeah. And I really uh, appreciate the behemoth seat, like what you were just talking about. I've, I've heard of it like an awards ceremony, mm-hmm. because no one is going to like ultimate judgment, but it's yes. more like... This is what's happening. But there are going to be those people that the joke is that they're going to smell like smoke getting into heaven.
1: Well, I guess I was concentrating on the people that got their stuff burned up. So <laughs> your, 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 um, example is more appropriate for those whose work didn't get burned up. Yeah. It is going to be like that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and there, you know, again, there are going to be works that we've done that will just, I mean, like kindling, Yeah, they're going to go up and then hopefully, you know, depending on, our years of just walking with God and maturing in Him and, and becoming more like Him through... Uh, what do we call it? Progressive sanctification. There are going to be some things that, that stand the test of fire. Yes. You know? So, um, do you have anything more on this? Okay. (laughs) Well,
1: I just spilt it all right there. So you you take it from here, Josh.
0: Well, I went a very um, interesting direction because I know that there are teachers that, you know, there's a popular pastor who's written a book. I, I think it's called God Wins. And, and essentially it is that whole, um, possibly even just like a purgatory state where Christians are going to enter in that time. And then, uh, it won't be an eternal judgment. It's going to be for a time and then God's going to pull them out of that. And there's a lot of, I guess, maybe doctrinal debates on what that means. I also thought of a society that talks about God and, and I've heard this in certain millennial circles that really have like this, um, Just this anger towards God, because the way that he's been presented to them is that God is all powerful and thus he shouldn't be confined by any rules. And for me, there was a teaching, I think I've mentioned this before, but I used to work in a church where we would have Christian like, um, teaching radio on all day. And I was about to go cool clean one of the men's bathrooms at the church I was working at. And it was like, coming up right now, uh, we're going to give you a list of three things that God can't do. And I like, <laughs> I dropped them mop, <laughs> and I was like, what? And I was sitting there like tapping the wall, waiting for the little commercial like sponsorship, um, you know, ads that was going on to end. Cause I was just like, I I have my my phone ready. I'm going to call the 800 number and argue with this, you know, this uh satellite pastor, or whoever's on this program. Yeah. And it came on and, and there were three things that they said God can't do. And one of the one of the first ones is is that God cannot contradict himself. And I was like, Oh yeah, well that makes sense. You know? <laughs> and then another one was God can't lie. And I was like, Oh oh yeah, well, okay. My phone's like steadily, like going back into my pocket. And then the third thing is God can't go against his nature. Yeah. And so when I looked at this question, I kind of went my own little rabbit hole or my own little path is that we can't say this enough. God is pure holiness. Yeah. And so sin cannot exist in his presence and the only way for us to dwell with him for eternity and to not be judged is for our sin to be gone. Yeah. And we realize that as we look at what the Bible says about sin, there's nothing that we can do to get rid of it. We say this almost every podcast because it's so important. Our our righteousness, our attempt at trying to solve our sin problem is virtually filthy rags. It, and the, the meaning of that, again, if you need to get further into that, it just gets grosser and grosser. And, mm-hmm. and the, the, the whole part of that is like it's like a diaper. It just It's a soil diaper. It's not good. We will, we will never stand up. And so I, I went down Romans Road because I thought about Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to establish that in our lives, that no matter what, everyone who's ever lived has sinned except one man, Jesus. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Um, in the, the due time, Romans five eight says that Christ died for the sinful, the ungodly. And then Romans 10.9 says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ has raised from the dead, you will be saved. And with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation." And so I started to think, why would someone say God won't ultimately judge anyone for sin? When clearly in scripture, it's established. We think of the wheat and the tares. Because Jesus said this parable, "'The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came to him and said, "'Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field?' How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. And servants servant said to him, do you want us to then go and gather them up? And he said, no, lest you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with it. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them into bundles to burn them. And I will gather wheat into my barn. And then you have the same thing with the sheep and the goats. And then you have Revelation 21, 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And I said all that to say that God can't change his nature. And while we want to say that God can do anything at the snap of his fingers, mm-hmm. we we have to understand that God did not create hell or the lake of fire for men originally. Yeah. But we sinned and sin entered the world and sin eternally separated us from him until Christ came and made a payment for that sin. And so, unfortunately, if we die in that sin, we stay in it and we are eternally separated from God. And so that, that watered down gospel of God won't ultimately judge anyone for sin is... That is dangerous, dangerous ground.
1: It really is.
0: Because it's
1: it's bending God's word, what it says clearly. Mm-hmm. And we understand that there's there's spots in Scripture that do take study and prayer and sometimes maybe even fasting to understand the deep mysteries of God. But there's other areas where it is very clear. Mm-hmm. There's no need to bend it or reconstruct it. And this is one of them that's been reconstructed. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's important. And another, another thing I was thinking about is... I I'm, I think a lot of times when we hear the word cannot, mm-hmm. it, it feels like you're putting a limitation on God. A lot of times I'll think in my mind, he will not. Yes. Because he, like you said, he can do anything, but he's not going to do yes. it. And the reason I, I, I think there are some scriptures that say cannot, so I don't want to be one yeah. who is twisting it saying, well, I like the word this way better. That's not what I'm, but when you're thinking about it, he will not do these things, and um, because he's not gonna, he's just not gonna do it. He said he won't.
0: No, and that's a great way to say it. I just feel like even with our podcast, where you <laughs> think about this this day and age where people want to put clickbaity things. Yeah, I mean that was a radio hook yeah, that was, was extremely clickbait because I was just like, "What? <laughs> I will be here to hear the next segment." Exactly. You know, <laughs> so True. yeah, yeah, that's funny. So, hey, Snakebirds, we're going to go ahead and cut it here because we didn't realize we were recording a super, super long episode. Yeah, this was like the full length of Lonesome Dove or something. So <laughs> we, we don't want to put you, but, you know,
1: make your honey go to sleep listening to this thing all the way through. So we're going to do part two
0: next week. Somebody turns this on and they're like, my phone died before it finished. <laughs> I feel my legs. So, yeah. Um, so make sure that you come back next week for part two and be, be a, a Snakebird. Bird.